0: Hello, welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast. And I want to start with a really exciting giveaway we're doing. We are relaunching our C-Laboration giveaway. That's when we partner with creatives in the Celtics community to give away some free swag. And this time around, we are promoting our very own Divine Sweater. So if you liked the music at the top of this podcast, <laughs> that comes from Mr. Alex Goldberg and the homies at Divine Sweater. We are giving away a Divine Sweater crew neck, or if you're overseas, a jumper. So go to at Celtics Lab on Twitter for more information. You can win yourself some Divine Sweater swag. In preparation for a show, they'll be playing My Home Turf in Somerville at the, what is it, the Crystal Ballroom? Uh, December that's 9th. right. Alex, anything I missed?
1: Yep, Crystal Ballroom, December 9th. Uh, and that's going to be with our good friends Beef, the band Beef, and uh, Sinnet, who are releasing their, fir- I-, I think it's their first album, but th- they're having an album release party Uh, Divine Sweater and Beef will be joining as well. So we're dropping tickets for that. They're on sale now. Uh, You can go to a link that I'm going to post in the Celtics Lab bio and uh, yeah, buy a ticket and like, follow and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. And if you do, you might win some free swag.
0: That's the truth. So bring your your dancing shoes and your Vax cards December the 9th, I'll be there. Uh, I am also joined as always by Dr. Justin Quinn and... We have a very special guest, the Celtics play the Lakers this Friday, the first tilt of the season between the two arch rivals. So we brought in someone who knows the purple and gold better than anyone else from Silver Screen and Roll, Mr. Anthony F. Irwin. Anthony, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It's the, uh, you know, it's, it's the first time that we're all talking Lakers and Celtics together. So if it gets yeah. heated, my apologies in advance surely we'll see eye to eye on absolutely everything can't wait
0: i will tell you that and maybe alex and justin don't know this i find myself rooting for the lakers sometimes i think they're just it's an institution in american sports and i know (laughs) the face alex is making uh so i'm just hoping for a good ball game but yeah maybe we'll uh virtually come to blows later when we when we discuss things uh jq how are you how's mexico
3: uh, it's not too shabby. Uh, we have a lot more Lakers fans than we do with Celtics fans here uh, for probably obvious reasons, considering that uh, the Lakers are in what used to be Mexico. But um, I actually am more in your camp than that. And I'm not just saying this because Anthony's with us. Uh, I'm always of the mind that I really, more than any other rivalry in sports, have enjoyed the Lakers-Celtics rivalry. And if both teams aren't doing good, those rivalries are not such an interesting game, though I suppose they are more interesting than me. They- Typical midseason game.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, my blood boils when I see the Canadians play hockey, but I'm fine with the Lakers.
3: Let's hop right in. We're going to hop
0: right into the Celtics lab to talk about this, this tilt. We are looking at a game Friday, November 19th. As of this afternoon, it is Tuesday evening now, a little earlier today. We heard that LeBron very likely will be back for this game from injury, although I'm not going to make any promises. Uh, it doesn't sound like Jalen Brown is slated to be back, but there's a lot of time between now and Friday, so we will see. And yeah, let's do it. Let's talk state of the rivalry, what we're we looking for this Friday, and uh, more broadly, what's going on with the Lakers and the Celtics. So, Anthony, before all of that, I actually want to ask you, because over at the Silver Screen Roll, you guys are doing something pretty interesting with the Lakers games uh, this year. You want to tell us about that?
2: Yeah, so it's it's called the uh, the pressure cooker. It's the last five minutes of of nationally televised games. I think the Lakers this year had 52 nationally televised <laughs> games. Um, so, so we wanted to figure out something to do for those. And I moved away. I moved uh, actually to Texas this last uh, like couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I really missed watching Lakers games. Whether it was my dad, you know, the rest of my family, friends, and stuff like that. So I really missed the interaction that you get, the crap that gets talked, yelling at the referees, the questioning of coaches, all that good stuff. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I kind of figured, all right, well, let's, let's find a way to recapture some of what I'm missing and offer people who listen to the shows or read our stuff, uh, the opportunity to, to watch it with us. So that's basically what we do. We just flip on the stream. Uh, I have the game on off camera. Can't really, I'm, I'm not trying to catch an FCC fine. Uh, but, but we're, but we, uh, we sit here and we, we watch the game. We usually have a guest and we go back and forth and, and yeah, it's, it's very much like watching the game at a bar with us. If, if we were all able to go sit in a bar together.
0: Cool. Fantastic. All right. So, uh, Lakers fans or curious Celtics fans, check that out because this, this is a nationally televised game on Friday. I think I'm right mm-hmm. about that. Yep. So on ESPN. Let's, let's get into it. Uh, right now we're looking at a seven and seven Celtics team. They're ninth in the East and an 8-7 and Lakers team, 7th in the West, which Justin has put in parentheses the weaker of the two conferences. (laughs) It's so Uh,
3: rare, so I had to, you know? Yeah,
0: over here on the East Coast. It's it's a rare moment in the sun. But really and truly, those are noble records. There's a a really healthy middle class in the the NBA this year, so I don't think either the Celtics or the Lakers are going to get any freebies. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about each team and what's up with them, what they've been up to for the past few weeks, and then get into the game itself. Let's start with the Lakers. So, Anthony, what's up with the Lakers? Why are they struggling, and would you even call it that?
2: Well, they're definitely struggling. They haven't. I think their most comfortable win of the season was an eight-point win over the San Antonio Spurs. Um, They got a little closer than people might have liked late because Russell Westbrook did Russell Westbrook things. And then, uh, you know, look, LeBron has missed half of their games this year and by the time if he returns on Friday uh he will have missed more than half of their games uh, if he doesn't play mm-hmm. in the game tomorrow night I don't know when this is airing uh they're going to play Milwaukee on Wednesday he's going to miss that one and Woj is saying they're optimistic that he's able to return on Friday that's not even necessarily him saying that he's definitely back either so not right. a guarantee here look he's he's in his 19th season Uh, it's an ab injury, which, you know, anything in your core takes is kind of tricky to get back from, and it throws off all other parts of your body. Um, that was where the Phoenix suns back in the day, you know, revolutionized the way that we looked at athletic training was just focusing. So hyper, hyper focused on the core. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so with, with LeBron having that off and, and missing, messing with his center of gravity, there's. Is a little tricky, so we'll see if he's back on Friday. Uh, it, it's going to be an interesting matchup because, yeah, like you're saying, there is this healthy middle class, and uh, the Lakers heading into the season weren't supposed to be a part of that middle class. Like they were, they were considered the betting favorites to come out of the West. They were going to, they were supposed to face uh, the Brooklyn Nets as as clear cut favorites mm-hmm. and, and to meet in the finals and. And it hasn't gone to plan. Russell Westbrook has is, is, is been very con- inconsistent, consistently inconsistent. And, and, you know, the other role players on the Lakers uh, that are currently healthy, they have zero league average defenders. So it's pretty easy to score on them. That's where the, that's where the Lakers are heading into this one.
0: Yeah, the, seeing Melo flourish offensively is great, but there's a yin and a Yang and the defense is really tough.
2: Yes. Yeah. I mean, Anthony Davis, he just got thrown out of a game for tying his shoe and um, it was a weird, like, (laughs)
3: yeah,
2: it was, it was, it was a pretty lame uh, (laughs) ejection (laughs) in my opinion, but whatever. Uh, What what I, what I noticed though, is, you know, he's been really kind of moody and he's been, he's been, you know, he's, he had the altercation with Dwight Howard. He uh, had some really pointed quotes after the Lakers got blown out by Minnesota. um, He's really clearly frustrated because he really cares about defense. Like that's, that's where he is legitimately special on that end of the court. And he's surrounded right now because Trevor Reese is hurt. LeBron James is hurt. Tim Horton Tucker is considered one of their key wing defenders, which is kind of terrifying because he still can't drink legally. (laughs) And then, and then so like, you know, Anthony Davis is being surrounded by at least two or three, maybe four in some instances, just straight up bad defenders. And I think he's just frustrated. It's, 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 it's tough to, to be asked to carry that much of the load on that side of the court. And then also, by the way, like have to go and, and be uh, the, 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 the nail that gets set up by some hammers that are kind of inconsistent, right? Russell Washbrook mm-hmm. is, is really kind of difficult to play with, I think. And, and Rajon Rondo, uh, was great once upon a time, but you know he's been he's regular season Rondo has been washed up now for years. So uh, that's that's where he's at. He's been kind of mopey, and, and it's going to be really interesting to see in this matchup against Boston because you know there are some players there who can really carve up defenses when they really get it going. And if if you know the Lakers continue to struggle defensively, I, I don't think it's going to get any easier. They kind of need LeBron back.
1: To that end, Anthony, I wonder if we could dive a little deeper on Anthony Davis, because I feel like without LeBron in the fold, as you kind of mentioned, Anthony Davis becomes the pretty clear focal point for everything that the Lakers do. And Anthony Davis has typically been thought of as you know pretty reliable when he's on the court. That's, that's almost always going to be a top 10 player, at least in kind of the current era of the NBA. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that the Lakers uh, kind of talk a lot about in this past offseason, and that's really been a course of discussion for Anthony Davis's entire Lakers run, is this idea that the best version of the Lakers features Anthony Davis at the five playing center, something that he has admittedly, you know, while he said that he's gonna try and do more of, he has admittedly also stated that he's somewhat uncomfortable doing. Uh, I wonder if some of his frustration might stem from that. And then another thing to kind of consider in this mix is that one of the reasons that Anthony Davis at the five has typically been so deadly is because the Lakers have kind of in this entire run, you know, they've they've been really good at their best version, but they've almost always built their identity around that defensive presence, as you've said, Mm -hmm. And offensively, the strength of Anthony Davis at the five is that the Lakers get a chance to play lineups that are shooting heavy, that allow them to really space the floor, uh, something that with Anthony Davis at the four, and particularly now with Russell Westbrook at the point guard position, the spacing can get kind of cramped and tight. So to that end, Anthony Davis is shooting, uh, I believe, and let me just, I'm on basketball reference right now. He's shooting 20% from deep. Uh, this season, I believe, which yes. is really, really low. And obviously it's a small sample size. You know, there haven't been that many games, but it's well below his kind of career average uh, basically since like 2015. So it's, it's his worst shooting performance from deep in about five years, a little longer. I yeah. wonder if um, if this, I, I guess my thing is, I'm wondering if, some of davis's frustration might be stemming not just from his teammates inconsistent play but maybe from his own oh totally play.
2: absolutely yeah i mean he, uh, i i davis is one of the, the 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 you know it it feels somewhat rare in in this era of basketball but he's one of those guys who i do think hold himself accountable like who will be honest about where he's at like some, one of the things that kind of bothers me watching Russell Westbrook sometimes is like he'll commit a really dumb turnover or he'll get a technical foul and he'll be asked after the game about it. And he's just like, oh, it was, it was stupid on that guy's part. That was, that was, that was that guy's fault. It was not, it, you know, and, and that lack of accountability sometimes kind of annoys me. And Davis though, I think is, is one of those guys who will say like, yeah, I, I gotta be better here. I gotta get to the line more. Like one of the things that has been has really stood out to me this season is how little he's getting to the free throw line. He's not getting there very often at all compared to not just like his career numbers, but also what you would anticipate from somebody who is as physically imposing as he is. And, and I think, you know, when you're talking about his general approach to offense, he kind of reminds me, there are some guys who, uh, your guys is big. Is it Robert Williams? You guys have... Robert Williams totally gets his role I think you know he mm-hmm. he understands that all right my job is to set a screen and either get to the basket myself as a a world beater and dunk on everybody or you know suffocate the defense bring everybody in so that a shooter on the outside can can get a pass uh, because of what I created by diving so hard to the basket and and that that can take place and that'll continue so long as like He is, he understands like his skill level. And I think sometimes what what you'll see with, with bigs in the NBA is, and not just sometimes, basically all the time, that's where they start. And then somewhere along the line, they decide, actually, I'm a back to the basket player now, right? Right. Dwight Howard did it. You're -hmm. you're starting to hear some of that with, with DeAndre Ayton and, and they want post touches and they don't want to just roll to the rim and they want to, diversify their game and show that they're capable of more than just dunking. And and so I think with AD, he has already gone through that where he's already decided, yeah, I want, I want my back to the basket more. And he's also talented enough to, to convince himself that like, yeah, I, I can create any shot that I want. If I go to my, my, my fadeaway, there's nobody who's coming anywhere near that shot release to, to legitimately contest it. And and I think it becomes fool's gold because like while that is technically a good look because he's always shooting a clean look, it's not as good as he could. It's not as effective as he could if he focused more on shooting vertically or ideally shooting moving towards the basket. And and I think here with with AD, uh, he's he's almost a victim of his talent level where he is so freaking good. He's so talented both you know, skill wise and athletically that he can convince himself. Yeah, this is a great shot, but it's not as great though, as it could be if you got to the rim and you created a few more trips to the free throw line at the very least for yourself.
0: Do you see him making better choices with LeBron on the floor? Like, is that a a
2: stabilizing voice for him or it's a consistent problem? I I think it's more, he's, he's making fewer choices because when LeBron is out there, he's, he's making all of the calls, right? He's running the offense. He's, he's, you know, figuring out which set that they're going to go to, which matchup they're going to pick on. Whereas when Russ is out there, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a lot more erratic. You know, I've always thought that he's more of a, a, you know, he's, he's more of a shooting guard. I know. You know somebody who has racked up as many assists as he has, uh, you would think, yeah, that guy can create for anybody. But he he doesn't think about the game the way that a point guard does. He doesn't, you know, when 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 you listen to all of these all time great point guards talk, one of the things that they're always very aware of is like, all right, that guy hasn't had a touch in a little bit. That guy hasn't, you know, yep. that guy has it going. Let's go to that guy. Let him get his heat check up. You know, and and they think about the game outside of the prism of. Well, I'm the most talented player on this basketball court. I can get to the rim whenever I want. And then we'll allow everything else to be kind of created from, from there. And I think with LeBron, he does think of the game that way. And totally. when AD is playing alongside LeBron, LeBron is very, you know, he, he he's always thinking of, all right, AD needs a touch here. AD needs a, ro- a, a roll to the rim here. AD needs this. All right, it's my turn here. Ellington has it going. Let's get him a good look, whatever. And I think when he's, when, when AD is playing with Russ, they haven't quite figured out that balance of your turn, my turn with a purpose. No,
0: I, I don't think anyone has figured that out with Westbrook. No, no. Uh, To that end, give me 30 seconds on your experience as a fan. Now You're, you're in bed with the Russell Westbrook experience. Give me 30 seconds on that. And then give me 30 seconds on the likelihood that he could possibly be traded.
2: Well, he 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 can't be traded. Like it's not gonna happen. Like nobody has forty-four million dollars worth of contract that they're just ready to give up this, this year. <laughs> I was just gonna say that. I, I mean, you could, you could, and and technically, Wall shoots a little bit better than Russ does. So, like, there's there's an argument maybe to be made there, but that would also be like the problem. There is that Russ trading Russ would be LeBron admitting. Oof, that was a mistake because he's on the record. Like it is reported definitively that they were about to pull the trigger on the buddy heel deal. And instead LeBron called up Palenka and said, Hey, I, I want Russ. I, I, I want to go in the direction of Russ. So if they trade Russell Westbrook, now you're talking about a, a, a legitimate, you know, <laughs> acknowledgement of, yeah, I, that didn't, that was not the right call. and And I don't think, the Lakers are in that business quite yet. And then, you know, in terms of the Russell Westbrook experience, it's, it's kind of funny because he's not somebody you would ever think of who lacks confidence. He's, you know, stings loudly to Taylor Swift. Wears what he wears is, is, is like, when you think of confidence in the NBA, he honestly comes to mind. Like that's, that's kind of the guy he is. But what's funny is that this season he has spent a lot of time second, second guessing himself on these drives where instead of the, Tornado that used to rip defenses and 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 find them lying all over the greater Oklahoma City area, he's just kind of like tiptoeing into the key and looking for a passing angle and waiting to the last second to find a passing angle and not really looking to to fully attack the way Russ does. And LeBron has said it, AD has said it, Carmelo Anthony has said it. A lot of the fans are saying he's like Russ, just go be Russ. You're yeah. not going to be good if you're you're not you're not capable at this stage of your life to like completely reinvent yourself as this facilitating point guard. So just go be you. And then everybody else, LeBron is talented enough to, to kind of adapt to that kind of playing style. Anthony Davis is, 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 is capable of adapting in, in, in the, the more that he plays with confidence. And again, that's why I start with the confidence thing. It's odd that you have to tell Russ to play with more confidence, but that's really where we're at. so, that's that's honestly been the, the the number one thing that I'm looking for, and the 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 thing that sticks out about this experience is like I can't believe people are having to remind Russell Westbrook to play with confidence.
0: Yeah, it, it's hard. It, it's so fun to root for Russ, but I don't have skin in the game when it's when it's your dog in the race. I, I,
2: I, I loved it so much more when he was on another team and it was like, because I was very I was I was loudly a proponent of the Buddy Heald trade. I didn't think. You know, I, I thought that that was the move to make. It wouldn't have cost all of the defenders that the Lakers had to give up to, to get uh, Russell Westbrook. And now you're seeing like Washington with Kuzma, with KCP, and Trez is playing way better in Washington than he ever did with, with the Lakers. But, but with those two guys, two, those two wing defenders, Washington all of a sudden is at the top of the conference <laughs> and, and you know and, and so I, and i don't think it's a coincidence like basketball really isn't that complicated if you have guys who can defend multiple positions and can go off and and succeed with without handling the basketball dominating the basketball a ton then like that is how you surround a really good player like Bradley Beal and and i think Russ is like the antithesis of all of that <laughs> and, and 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 it's really difficult when you're making 40, I think it's either 44 or $47 million that he's making this year. Mm -hmm. And it took all of those role players that the Lakers had to give up to get him. And then on top of that, he himself is kind of struggling. And of course the Lakers are off to a a tough start. And that's before you even mentioned that LeBron isn't, isn't healthy.
0: So short of health, what's something that in the next few weeks or maybe even at the trade deadline, or or I suppose the buyout market, um, the Lakers could do a player they could add, a rotation fix. What's one thing that they could do that's impactful, you think?
2: I'm sorry if you guys can hear my daughter in the background. She's she's a big Russ fan. She's just <laughs> really torn up back there. But, um, no, she so things that they need, I, I think it starts with addition by subtraction. Like mm-hmm. DeAndre Jordan hasn't been an NBA player for multiple years now, and uh, they they started the season by starting him and and trying to see if that can work. Now he's basically fallen out of the rotation. And so I think, you know, swapping out DeAndre Jordan if they want another big, which I kind of understand they might want another big there. So maybe mm-hmm. you see who who makes their way to the buyout market. There's usually some, you know, kind of rim running, dunking big that just kind of becomes available who maybe can only do those things and is a disaster everywhere else. But but DeAndre Jordan is basically that and uh you know the hope is that you get some youth that you can train to do the things that you need DeAndre to be doing. So that's the one move there that I think, just getting rid of him and getting him completely out of the rotation that'll really help. Uh, Avery Bradley uh, has been pretty bad. He had a couple good games at the beginning of his his latest stint here, but the Lakers are using him as this like lockdown perimeter defender. No matter how big the the other player is on that he's trying to guard, he's six one. He's six two. And we saw we saw it with Levine last night. We saw it with DeMar DeRozan where those guys just elevate and they can't even see Bradley anymore. So getting an actual wing who can actually play defense. uh, Those are the two spots that it's wild. The Lakers, it's like a six, three and under league and then like four (laughs) bigs. And, And they just decided we just we don't want any wings this year. We're good.
1: I'm on the record for, by the way, as saying that Avery Bradley was an overrated defender, even on his time on the Boston Celtics. I have believed that yeah. for a while now. And
2: if that loses me fans on the Celtics lab podcast, I'm sorry, but it's the truth. He, he, he's the kind of player that you watch and you say like, Oh, that guy has to be a good defender, right? He's up in the guy's Jersey. He's slapping the floor. He's diving for loose balls, you know, and, and, and then like the the more that you watch him especially off ball he's getting beat back door he's losing shooters and and again he's 6162 and there's only so much you can do when you're that small defensively and he's on
0: the older side so yeah. when he was yeah, playing he... in Boston he could even if he gave up a little bit of size he could he had the speed to keep up i don't think those knees and those ankles can do the same
3: then, nope. he wasn't a particularly good team defender. He was always more of an individual defender. And uh, now he doesn't really have the same level of athleticism to hold up in either scenario.
2: So, yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's, that's, you know, he's, he's very good if you're just watching only him on the ball and you're never paying attention to him anywhere else, but then as you pay attention to him somewhere else, you're like, Ugh. just, just like, the game's over here, man. <laughs> like him and Russell, Wels- uh, Russell, Russell uh, Westbrook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he he had a tough fantasy day yesterday, and then you know it's still on the mind. But um, but no, Russell Westbrook had he, he and Avery Bradley have these like squirrel moments, right? Like the movie Up, where yep they're focused, they're focused, they're focused. Squirrel, you know, and and then they're just like running a million miles an hour in the wrong direction, and you know sometimes they're running a million miles in, in, in the in the proper direction. They get in the passing lane and creates this thing. But it's kind of like Allen Iverson was the first defender that I remember back in the day, where it's like steals once upon a time was the counting stat that everybody pointed to. And like, that guy's a great defender because look at all the steals that he's getting. But then the more that you think about it, it's like he's getting all those steals. How often is he going for a steal and then putting his defense in the, in a tougher spot? I think that's where where Bradley is right now. He's at that... He's at that stage here where you realized, ooh, I think AI might have been a little overrated on that side of the ball. Again, six-foot-ish guy, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. As Consensus, a slightly- <laughs> Consensus <laughs> agreement that Avery Bradley is bad on the Celtics Live podcast.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, certainly in the year 2021. So uh, we have in our notes that we're going to do the same for the Celtics, but yeah, I got to tell you, a, win, a good win last night. I don't really want to muddy the water. And uh, for any Celtics fans that need a breakdown of how well the Celtics are playing, go check out uh, Brian Robb's stuff on Mass Live. He has a good state of the Celtics kind of piece, and they've turned things around a little bit. But JQ and Alex, before I unilaterally decide, let's just move on from that. What are you seeing from the I don't Celtics? I think
3: we should do that. I think we should keep going. Oh, okay.
0: Let's get into it then.
3: Yeah. We don't have to be long because I think the Celtics fans that are listening are. Pretty accustomed to the complete lack of defense being replaced by some lockdown defense, but yeah, let's do it. All right.
0: Tell us about the defense. Let's go.
3: So probably anyone who's listening to this knows that the Celtics were as far down as 25th in the league in defense as a team. uh, And they jumped out to, I think it was like a two set, uh, two win, five, five loss record um, immediately got their shit together on the defensive end and are now, Hovering among the top two or three teams in the league in terms of defense and surprise, surprise, they are winning games. Um, I don't really know what else to say about why they're struggling if we're going to cover that particular thing. Other than the fact that this is a very young team, this is a team with a brand new uh, head coach, brand new coaching staff. Uh, it has is one of its biggest problems, an overly predictable offensive approach to the game. Uh, which Al Horford was just talking about um, as the second veteran Celtic to point this out. Not that it's exactly rocket science. And their two primary stars are known for being inconsistent. And occasionally you could even say they they are a little bit moody, though less so this season. So when you put all those things together, uh, how would you not expect this team to be inconsistent, particularly in a tougher Eastern Conference?
1: BQ, just want to add one thing there. Uh, I don't think this is a coincidence, but I'm going to let let the audience extrapolate as they will. The Celtics' sudden defensive uptick came directly after the much ballyhooed Marcus Smart call-out in the media. It does have to be stated that Marcus Smart called out his co-stars and teammates in very aggressive and open fashion, and the Celtics' defense immediately got better.
2: Does Marcus Smart do anything in a non-aggressive and like, like, like he, he he's he, I, I really like Marcus Smart I, I really honestly do I think uh, he you know as somebody who watched the Lakers just let Alex Caruso walk you know yeah. those kinds of players are are, are very very valuable um, I I also think here with the, with the Celtics like what's been fascinating watching from the outside looking in is Jason Tatum has been on this trajectory to where it's like, when's he going to be, when's he going to go from top 15 to top 10? When's he going to go from top 10 to top five, You know those things. And, and a lot of times players focus almost solely in those, in those leaps forward on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. And, and if you're playing a wing in the NBA, you know, you have to be really freaking good on, on defense too, to be considered a top five, top 10 player, um at that position as well. So like I think for him being still relatively as young as he I think he's still nineteen. Do I have that right? Um but it's so, of course but <laughs> but but so with 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 Jason Tatum, like he I, I think you know I, I think it's good and it really you know because I, I, I liked Marcus Smart's sentiment there where it's like yes we're all trying you know we're we're trying to watch you and trying to facilitate you becoming a superstar here too but there's this other part of the game over here, too, that if you're going to be a superstar, if you are going to be a Supermax type player, you got to be really good over there, especially at that position.
0: So, uh, thank you for saying that Jason Tatum is soon to be a superstar. We agree uh, with your Kobe Murray. 19 years you, old. Man. It's really great. I know. He also can't drink, apparently. So, <laughs> Lakers fans maybe have some buyers' remorse from their offseason. Alex, do you think Celtics fans do? Yes and
1: no. Um, I think some of the things that the Celtics did this offseason have pretty objectively worked out well. Uh, For example, you know, inconsistent and a little bit maniacal, but Dennis Schroeder has objectively helped this team win some games. Uh, Particularly, you know, he just, he really provides a lot of offensive punch to a team that is really desperate for it. He can take some very bad shots from time to time. But when Schroeder is on, uh, and this is, of course, familiar knowledge to Lakers fans, when Schroeder is on, he's an impact player. He can really help your team win. I think the Al Horford trade also pretty clearly a win. Uh, Obviously, it would have been nice to have, you know, one of these kind of high impact rookies. But uh, Horford has been a critical stabilizing force on that defense and has looked, you know, young and spry in comparison to kind of how he's been in these past couple of years. Um, Same time, there are definitely some things that I think uh, Celtics fans might look at the offseason and feel a little dicey about. For starters, Um, The Josh Richardson acquisition is Mm -hmm. really frustrating, at least to me. And it's not even necessarily because Josh Richardson is a terrible basketball player. I don't think he is. It's because Josh Richardson is taking away minutes from the Celtics young guys. uh, And the Celtics young guys are going to need to be the dudes that ultimately develop if this team is going to really grow into having a strong bench presence uh, with that energy that can kind of boost their offense and move it forward. So, Josh Richardson can do a couple of things well. He's a pretty solid perimeter defender, he can hit a corner three, but ultimately, this team's ceiling is a lot higher if Romeo Langford and Aaron Niesmith get a chance to kind of come into their roles a little bit more. Uh, so, the Richardson acquisition is a little dicey, kind of hard to say really anything about Juancho Hernan Gomez and, and his cantor, who uh, Cantor's obviously been making mm-hmm. some waves in the media but has not played a whole lot uh, neither has Juancho Hernan Gomez. Um, so overall, I think the Celtics off season is probably not as good as maybe some folks like myself on this podcast were hyping it up to be. but I would say that the source of the Celtics problems largely has not been from their offseason acquisitions. In fact, I think the source of the celtics problems has been pretty simple and cut and dry it's that Jason Tatum is in the worst scoring slump of his young career and when that changes the Celtics will
3: be better also Jalen Brown has not been playing because of injury and you know he's kind of good at basketball and important to this team um Josh Richardson has been surprisingly uh better than I expected yeah. uh he still as of screws late, up. yeah yeah no like he still screws up in very infuriating ways sometimes but on the whole, both he and Enos Kent, particularly last night uh, against the Raptors, I was actually amazed that he was able, I mean, no offense, Enos, I love you off the court, but it's been a while now, other than, you know, very key matchups, that he's been able to be a really productive player. And he actually helped plug a hole uh, when when Timelord had to go out with that knee soreness, which uh, I imagine we should probably talk about later. Um so, like, really, the only other complaint that I have is Jabari Parker. What are we doing with Jabari Parker? I mean, mm-hmm. like, it's a great narrative, but I think that there's a lot more stable, uh, particularly if you're trying to set a defensive culture. Uh, you, could, you could have found another, another player, uh, even later on down the road, even keeping that space open to absorb another contract. I love the narrative. I want to see Jabari do well. When he does do well, it's very exciting. But more often than not, I'm just shaking my head and wondering what we're doing but when we have him on the roster, so that's my only complaint.
2: I would partially used uh, DeAndre Jordan that we could swap if you're interested. I, I would um, actually
3: yeah. consider that, <laughs> honestly.
0: One man's garbage is another man's garbage kind of situation. Exactly, yeah. Anthony, what should Celtics fans know about Dennis the Menace and the, the whole Schroeder experience, the good and the bad?
2: I think, so he came to the Lakers last year coming off of his best year as a pro. And, and I think he uh, just had no idea why he was such a great year as a pro. He bought into a role. He uh, was a super sub, right? He was, he was really, really good running a second unit and taking apart defenses that uh, are, are, are playing without their starters out there for, for most of the time that he's there. And then immediately demands when the Lakers acquire him, yeah, I'm the starter here. Like, that's how this <laughs> is going to go. And... and <laughs> He's just not good enough to, to to demand that kind of a role, and I think for for the Celtics and any team that was going to acquire him, he got a giant slice of humble pie this last offseason. Where not only did he you know miss out on the tens of millions of dollars that uh, he passed up in in terms of the extension that the Lakers offered him, but also on top of that, uh, the reason that that money wasn't available to him is because he's too. Old To be considered like a project starting point guard that you could eventually yeah. groom into, you know, the kind of point guard that you want in your culture, but he's also too young to, to and, and not quite good enough to walk in and say like, yes, I'm your culture cho- changer. Right. And, and he's in that weird in between spot. And and for for where he, where he was as a Laker, he had these incredible games, and he's a great competitor. Like I, that's part of the reason I thought he'd be fairly successful in Boston, just given what that fan base really kind of values. He's always playing hard. You never have to worry about the way that he's competing out there. But he also does all of these things that like you sit there and you say, like we talked about Russell Westbrook's confidence. Schroeder has that in droves w- yeah. to to the nth degree to where he probably shouldn't have that amount of confidence.
0: Yeah, last night uh, the Celtics ended up beating the Cavs, and Schroeder was a big part of that. But there are times where, I mean, between him and Smart, there's a reason Jalen and Jason can't get any touches, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he probably. You know, all NBA players and all professional athletes, to be frank, are are mostly like this. They've overcome odds to get to the point that they're at, uh, insane odds to get to the point that they're at. And so to a certain extent, telling that player, hey, yeah, you aren't as good as that guy over there. It's just not going to sink in with some players. Eventually, like Charles Barkley is famous for saying like, yeah, I played against Michael Jordan and I realized that guy is just better than me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to beat that guy. Uh, Larry Bird, right? Had that famous quote about. Michael as well, and then when Magic beat him with the with the baby hook, right? He had his quote about that guy's just really freaking good. Um, whatever language the, the bird used there, and and but those those are the guys, though. How it, it takes a special kind of understanding and, and self reflection to be able to say, all right, well, that guy's better at me in that direction, in, in that way, and never look at your teammates like that. You know, yeah. you it's not it shouldn't be a competition for touches with Jason Tatum and with Jalen Brown and with Marcus Smart and with Dennis Schroeder. Um, and that's the, that's the thing that makes you nervous about having him in a, in a contract season.
1: It's, you know, I feel like Schroeder is in a lot of ways, there's this phrase that's used by the NBA, by NBA intellectuals and casual fans and everybody that it's a make or miss league. And Mm Schroeder personifies that phrase to a T. I think back to these two games that the Celtics just played against the Cleveland Cavaliers in the first game, uh, Dennis Schroeder got the ball on the last possession. At no point in that possession did he even consider passing the ball. He took a really difficult contested fadeaway long two on the baseline against the outstretched arms of Evan Mobley for the win. That shot did not go in and that shot frankly never had a chance of going in. Yeah. Then the next night against the Cavs, Dennis Schroeder gets a critical turnaround bucket to extend the Celtics lead and ultimately help them close out that game. He is the definition of a make or miss league player. When Schroeder's yeah. shot is falling, it's great to have him on your team. When Schroeder's shot is not falling, he's an absolute disaster.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's a <laughs> Both the Celtics and the Lakers employ point guards that are maddening and maybe can get hot and a seven game series or maybe just ruin an entire city's dreams so we can look forward to that uh and let's talk about the game i guess so friday is still a game in november let's not get ahead of ourselves so let's talk about what we're looking for for each team maybe a little prediction and then i have a quick little question at the end so anthony i'll ask you first both the Celtics and the Lakers kind of need wins. It's early. They kind of need wins, but what are you looking for from the Lakers matching up with these Celtics?
2: You know, it's, it's kind of, I was thinking about this today because you know, obviously I knew I was coming on, on the show and, and the one bummer about the way that the Lakers especially have been put together is that it's a whole bunch of guys that they haven't been Lakers for most of their careers. Like Trevor Ariza obviously understands like Lakers Celtics really, really matters. LeBron Mm -hmm. understands it because he gets the history of the league and then he I think he just straight up hates the Celtics. And and, (laughs) (laughs) um, so like there's, there's a couple, there are a couple guys there that really get the rivalry in in that. But for, I think for way too many, and this is one of the most, uh, this is the, you know, nth degree version of this with this matchup where I just don't think there are very many players involved that deeply hate the other side, which, you know, I, I enjoy it when, when Kobe and, and, and Paul Pierce are screaming at each other and Metal World Peace is involved in some scrum with with whoever. You know, so it's not going to be – I don't think it's going to be your typical like Lakers-Celtics game. Uh, but like you're saying, the stakes are inherent in that both these teams need to either get back some momentum or continue their momentum. And so while it isn't the kind of rivalry game that we, I think, would all prefer it to be – it is still an important one, and and in that regard, I think everybody playing, especially with it being LeBron's, you know, potentially his first game back, I think everybody involved is really going to have their have it circled on the calendar because everybody needs it. Yeah, Justin, same question. What
0: are you looking for from the Celtics matching up with this Lakers team? working on? For-
3: the kind of consistent effort they should be giving every night of the calendar year, uh, but they damn well better bring to a Lakers Celtics game for the same reason that Anthony points out. I don't necessarily think that there's too many players on this version of the Celtics team who have that same kind of attitude. And that has been something that has been discussed kind of ad infinitum in some corners of the Celtics media sphere. And while that area of Celtics fandom can kind of be a little homerish for me sometimes. I do think that there is a point uh, that you need to honor some of these historic rival rivalries with the kind of effort uh, that you need to win them or at least compete in them. And ultimately, I'm just looking, even if you know Jalen Brown and LeBron don't end up playing, I'm just looking for a really good effort from the team, no matter how it ends up panning out.
0: I had a a student today who's he's an international student and he's he was looking at tickets for this and he was like Celtics Lakers you got to go. So it sounds like the rivalry uh, still has some cash at
2: well, least. with us for sure. You know, I I I'm I can't wait. I'm probably going to do a pressure cooker. It's Friday night, so I'll probably have a couple cocktails in me, so who knows how that's going to play out. <laughs> it's a fun um, feud, <laughs> baby. For sure. <laughs> so so you know, I I, I you know, fans are hundred percent still bought into this thing, especially because both of these fan bases really have expectations for both of these teams. So for, from, from our perspective, it is still that big of a game. I just, I don't know if that necessarily is, is extended into the rosters themselves, but the, it, it, you know, you never know until you actually get out there and you have, you know, 17,000, I think the game is in Boston, right? So, Seventeen thousand mm-hmm. Bostonians screaming at how much they hate the Lakers and booing everybody who touches the ball. Eventually, that the the, the rivalry gets charged into your veins, because it kind of sort of has to be. <laughs> like that's yeah. how that goes.
0: All right, let's play a mini game. I'm gonna give each of you. Oh, well, I'm gonna give you guys a prompt. You have to answer it off the cuff, ten seconds or less. Ready? First one. Which team wins more regular season games this season? Celtics, Lakers. I'll start with you, Anthony.
2: Lakers put by like two
0: Alex Celtics out a boy Justin
3: Lakers by one
0: which team because which team goes deeper in their respective playoffs this season
3: Anthony Celtics
1: I think Alex split they both lose in round two Ooh, God
2: hmm. damn
3: it that's what I was gonna say damn,
2: right. that, was it. A, that was a good that was a good answer
0: all right uh, Second to last one, which team wins a title first,
2: Anthony? The Lakers have more on the line. So I got, I, gotta, I gotta go to Lakers. Yeah. You kind of have to Alex. Celtics LeBron is done. <laughs> <laughs> JQ.
3: You know, my heart wants to say Celtics, but you know, the Lakers have this like unique recruiting advantage of non Arctic winters and Hollywood and all that fun stuff. So it's, It's really hard for me to say. I'm just going to have to cop out and take the (laughs) toss-up.
0: My sister and brother-in-law just got back from L.A. last night, and they were like, it was in the 80s. It was great. And it wasn't in the 80s in Boston. All right, last one, most important one. Who wins Friday, Celtics or Lakers?
2: Anthony? I'll go Lakers. I'm going to buy into being a homer. Cool. Alex?
1: Celtics by five. Marcus Mark gets a game-winning stop. Ooh, fun. Or
0: tossed. (laughs) you, celtics cool and i'm off the hook from answering because i came up with a little game so anthony Irwin, you uh you write for silver screen and roll and you're hosting a pressure cooker this friday tell us about it one last time
2: yeah so pressure cooker and then the silver screen and roll podcast feed i think we're doing about 13 shows a week over there between the we lowdowns have. and the various the various shows that we have there so uh, uh, the one that I think Celtics fans would, would enjoy, you're not going to be all that interested in, in Lakers specific content, but on Fridays we have the hook, which is a more not, you know, we talk about the entire league as a whole, um, Aaron Larsul and I do that show together. So if you guys are looking for something to listen to Friday afternoons, that's the hook. Uh, and yeah, the pressure cooker, come, come, uh, pour yourself a beer and, uh, or whatever glass of wine, whatever it is that you guys prefer. It's colder out there. So beers a little. Is beer still a thing? Like when it gets really cold?
3: I don't know. I'm gonna have a mescal. I you know, beer?
2: am. Drinking Is a beer, beer
3: still right...
1: a thing when it's cold? I'm drinking a beer right now, and I will be drinking beers all throughout
2: the winter. So yes, <laughs> beer's just a thing. I don't. I don't think it's going to depend. I actually was back in Boston in May, and I and you know, it, I I really enjoyed it. I, I I'm sorry to say that. It was, a, it was a lovely city, great food. The people were super nice. I had an Uber driver actually recognize me at one point because I was talking wow. on the phone, and, and he goes, hey, uh, are you, uh, you don't happen to cover the Lakers, do you? I'm not going to do a Boston accent. And he goes, <laughs> and I go, yeah, yeah. Well, which one are you? Uh, Anthony, or when I, I you know, do Locked on Lakers. Oh, yeah, you do uh, Locked on NBA, right? I go, yeah, yeah. Got to say I'm not a fan. <laughs> and I just love the honesty. It was great. It was, it was the, the trip was fantastic. The city was great. Uh, I can't wait to go back. It's the hub of the world, baby. All right,
0: Anthony, thank you so, so much for your time and um, good luck on Friday. Go Celtics. Thanks guys. Okay. Thanks again, Anthony Irwin for coming on, talking Celtics Lakers. Now that he has uh, bid us an a do, we can, we can say, go Celtics, screw the Lakers. But uh, well, it's it's just good <laughs> basketball. It's just fun. It's still November. And we can all agree, screw the Nets. Let's talk about the, the Celtics a little bit, just the Celtics. Since we last talked, the Celtics have sort of turned things around. They are winners of three of the last four. They beat the Raptors. They beat the Bucks. They lost to Cleveland, but then they beat Cleveland again. And now they are winners of five of their last seven. I pose this to you. Have the Celtics found their identity? Justin?
3: I mean, their identity was already baked in with the players they had on their roster. If they weren't going to be a defensive team, they were going to be a very bad team. And they almost Mm -hmm. were. So let's be uh, thankful that Ime Odoka is the coach he's advertised as on the end of the floor. Now the question is, what can they add on offense? Because they do, as Al Horford uh, mentioned that I alluded to earlier, they need to diversify their offense. I mean, Smart has also said it. It's it's a critical aspect of how far this team can go. If they don't, they're going to struggle to even be a playoff team, in my opinion. But there are some seeds to work with.
0: Alex, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think the defensive identity is set pretty much just as you said, uh, Justin. You know, I think that um, Udoka's system is taking some time, and I think there's a pretty serious adjustment period that comes with that. I think his system is very different from the Brad Stevens system. And frankly, I think in some ways he's still figuring out his system uh, with the rest of these players and how that's going to work. I also don't necessarily buy that this roster is what it is, but what it is now is what it's going to be at the end of the season. Celtics are in a position where they can make some trades. They have some TPEs to use, some buyout guys to pull up. So I think there's going to be a little bit of shuffling the decks For now, though, I think the Celtics' identity is what it is. I think they really just need to kind of stay decent. If they can be a 500-ish or slightly above team and then make their run kind of towards the end of the season, I think they'll be in a relatively decent position. But right now, it really is with the state of the Eastern Conference as tight as it is. It's a kind of deal where, and I was kind of posting about this on Twitter the other day, but... The Celtics have to come to the realization that as of as currently constructed as they are right now, they can lose to any team in the league. They really can. Mm-hmm. The league is too deep. There's too much talent. And every team has at least one to two guys that can give you serious problems on a night to night basis. If the Celtics can really start to settle into this idea that they need to bring serious effort every night against even the worst teams, I think they will be fine. But so far the wins that the Celtics have had have been gritty and hard nosed, and they've really brought that effort. The losses it's clearly not there.
3: I want to add to your point too. Now there is only like maybe three or four teams in the entire league who are even trying to lose on purpose with a flattened lottery odds evidently being very effective Uh, as is the play in tournament in kind of generating that effect. But before mm-hmm. I forget, there has been this perspective floating around, not just the Celtics media sphere, but the media sphere in general. I have, I have um, a theory I'll, I'll share off air. I don't want to throw someone under the bus. So that i um, a buddy of who, who might be behind some of this, but there is this idea that you cannot trade extended players, which to a certain extent is true. There have been these these um, posts I've seen on Reddit and hither and yon that you can't trade an extended player in uh, the year that they have signed that extension. Are you
0: mostly referring to Josh Richardson here?
3: Josh, but also Marcus and realistically yep. any player who signs an extension, unless it's a designated player extension, which is you know pretty rare, uh, those players cannot be traded for a year. Depending on the kind of contract they get, it's either six months, which would be the case of Smart. He won't be available till I think, the 25th of January. And Richardson can be traded right now. I'm not saying that necessarily you, know, you want to make a trade for a player just because I'm mentioning this, but mm-hmm. to, to the point of the team not necessarily being the team that it is at the end of the season as it is now, uh, th- th- this team is built to have tools for exactly that purpose.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think what Alex, you said before matters most. And then you build back is that it begins and ends with Tatum and Brown. And when Tatum is the man, the Celtics are great. And when Brown is the man, the Celtics are great. And Tatum hasn't been spectacular. The first half of the Cleveland game really did not feature a lot of Jason Tatum taking over and I will offer that I listened to the second half on the radio. So I, I don't know this for certain, but it sounded like he stepped in into a much more of a leadership role on the second half. And no surprises the game uh, ended up in favor of the Celtics. So I, I do think that it begins and ends with smart. And when Brown comes back, Brown really leading the charge. And what has been an interesting development that this is a good enough segue is that now that Schroeder has been in the starting lineup because Brown is out, Smart is not the primary point guard. And I think that has been much more effective. So let me ask you, A, if you agree, because Alex made a funny face, but B, when Brown comes back, what is the, the best starting lineup, given what we know about these Celtics now? So Alex, agree, disagree?
1: Well, here's the thing, Kim, is that Marcus Smart, I think, has been a little bit better than maybe the eye test would necessarily would lend it. itself to. He has made some pretty critical mistakes, like particularly in that late uh, in the late phases of that Dallas game. Uh, mm-hmm. That was really not good. But um, Marcus Smart, according to a tweet by a good friend of the pod, Sean Grandy, uh, Marcus Smart leads uh, the Celtics in steals. He's second in the NBA and plus minus. And he's second on the team in net rating. When he's off the court, Boston has the worst offense in the NBA. And when he mm-hmm. is on the court, that offense jumps up quite a bit. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but his, uh, his impact is pretty notable, particularly as a playmaker. Um, Marcus, I think, has not been shooting all of that well. And that's the number that people always focus on when they talk about Marcus Smart's offensive performance. But I do think he has found a way to get more involved in the offense, particularly as a playmaker. He had a beautiful feed, for example, to Al Horford in the later stages of the Bucs game where Celtics really... Uh, ended up winning that game in in a lot of ways due to some of his play. I think Schroeder has been good, and I don't want to knock Schroeder. I think he brings some things to the table, particularly as a scorer that Marcus does not. But I don't know that I would be ready to say that Marcus should lose his spot in the starting lineup, particularly when Brown comes back and takes some of that scoring burden off him. I just think that his playmaking is really underrated. And of course you know, Marcus is the best defender on this team. It doesn't always show up on the uh, eye test on kind of what we see on the floor. Robert Williams gets the sexy blocks and Al Horford is great at switching and sealing off angles, but the stats bear out that Marcus Smart is still the best defender on this team. And so for that reason, I'm a little hesitant to pull the trigger on taking him out of the starting lineup just yet.
0: Well, well, uh...
3: Imeyadoka agrees with you, so we know what's going to happen with him. He's on the record saying that Schroeder is going to come off the bench when Jalen comes back. Uh, But that aside, there is a case to be made in certain matchups, I think, but I I tend to agree. I think that Smart has unfairly gotten a bit of a rough rap. He was pretty inconsistent defensively to start the season, but in terms of offense, tell me how many times – this season you have been yelling at your television or if you're there in person at him uh, to stop with the heat checks. I mean, yes, he was one of five in the win over the Cavs, which was not great, but he wasn't three or 15. And that's, that's yeah. a really important development because it shows that he's becoming a little bit more aware or at least a little bit more trusting of his teammates. I think it's
0: all the pieces are there. I, I... I I said this, I think, last week or the week before. I do think that there's a little addition by subtraction here. I think better defining roles, including maybe bringing in some young guys, would be helpful. But all the pieces are there. They balance each other really well. And I think with a little continuity, the players will begin to trust their role, trust that they're going to get their touches, and begin to understand what they can get from each other. So I think it will take time, and really a little bit of good health will go a long way. That said... What is our level of concern with Rob Williams? He left Cleveland with some knee soreness. He's questionable against Atlanta tomorrow night. If he was worse for wear, he would not be questionable. He would be out. So, JQ, what's your read on Rob Williams' knees and I guess the health of the Celtics overall?
3: Well, a few things. First of which you can never, ever look at an injury with Rob Williams and not be nervous. He just had too much of a history in that regard. On the other side of the coin, he's not ruled out, you know, immediately. It's been almost 24 hours now, and he is still questionable to your point. So that is promising. Uh, I'm of the mind that if he feels anything at all, sit versus they're having a rough season, we might have Jalen back. And even if we don't have Jalen back, I think that is – Better to prioritize health over a team that you should be able to beat without those players based on how they've been playing. I think that the cautious approach with Rob is always going to be the right approach, which leads me to think that they need to be able to find a little bit more depth. Maybe they have found it. Maybe Enos is going to be good for this particular matchup as well with Capella being on the other side of the uh, the court before from him. But for now, I'd say the the caution level is right in the middle, like around a five out of ten.
1: Yeah, I think I would go slightly above the middle just because of Rob's injury history being what it is and the fact that he's already piled up a couple of dings and dents. I definitely agree with you, Justin. I think keeping Rob in bubble wrap as much as possible when he is uh, even slightly hurt is the right call. And to that end, I definitely think the Celtics should be looking for another big to become like a playable, particularly a playable big, on defense. I just, I, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail cause we don't need a 80 minute rant, but I really can't watch Ennis Cantor play basketball anymore for my mental health. Um, I do, I am moderately intrigued by Bruno Fernando and kind of want to see what he can do. But ultimately, I think if the Celtics have a move to make, there's there's two of them. The first is to get more perimeter shooting. And the second is to find big depth that is not Cantor. And uh, I think that's a, a worthwhile consideration. Um, when in doubt, you know, I do think part of the reason that the Celtics traded for Al Horford is because they wanted to uh, have some Rob insurance. Now, admittedly, Al is 37. So that Rob insurance (laughs) is maybe not exactly what they're looking for. But I I would say I'm definitely concerned, in part because the Celtics are so much better when Rob is on the floor. I mean, he really just does so many things well for this team. On the defensive end, he's really improved as a passer. He's still an excellent lob finisher. The jumper Mm -hmm. is very much not good, but... Rob just adds a real dimension of like speed and ferocity to this team that nobody else really
0: can replicate. Yeah. There's smarter Dennis need to figure out this pick and roll because Rob rolls to the rim so well. And more often than not, he's ready to receive the ball, but the ball isn't coming to him. And, and not that that needs to be the focal point of the offense. Hello, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, but man, I want to see that unlocked because it's always there and it's not, ne- it's not used adequately. In my opinion, Uh, we have a few things on the docket, but I'll say let's, I I have questions about the coaching that I'm not quite sure I'm ready to answer. So I'm going to propose that maybe next week we we dive into that a little more. But do either of you, before I unilaterally decide that, want to, uh, again, want to say anything about the
3: coaching? I do want to say that I want to see a decision to be made, basically with if you're going to play young players who don't usually play with each other extended minutes, you need to play them more regularly. Even if it's just, you know, five minutes a night. They yes. have to play with the regular team regularly. So mm-hmm. either never play those guys or always play with those guys. You know, I understand there's a minutes crunch, but it's just like I think that uh know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this, and you know, again, I'm just a regular guy who is not, you know, in charge of anything even close to an NBA team, but it just seems to me bad logic to expect them to jump cold into the fire and then produce on that kind of a scale. You know, for garbage time, sure. For a three minute spurt, sure, but like upwards of almost 10 minutes of game time. Way too long. You know, there were many other reasons why the Celtics collapsed against the Cavs in that game that I'm referencing. But if you are going to play young players, then they need to get at least some degree. You know, send them to the, I want to call them the Red Claws, the main Celtics. Uh, just give them some runs somewhere. They can't just be coming in cold like. That's my, well, we can dive into it more in the future, but that is my main thing with that. I want to understand what's going on with that. And that might just be growing pains as a coach.
1: I completely agree with you, Justin. I think that's my biggest criticism so far of Ime. That being said, I do want to go on the record with this um, to any Celtics Twitter people out there that are listening um, if you are in the fire Eme after 14 games camp, I am politely requesting that you shut the fuck up. That is one of the <laughs> stupidest takes I've ever heard in my life. Uh, and I really think you need to reevaluate your choices. So shut the fuck up. Eme's not getting fired. He's going to coach the whole season. He's going to coach next season too. Let's stop with this nonsense. Give this dude some time. He's coached for 14 games and the Celtics have the fifth best defense in the league. Relax.
3: Tough love.
0: You heard it here first. Cancel culture has gone too far. All right. Speaking of which, anyone want to say anything about Ennis Cantor and what is happening with him and his minutes and the Chinese Republic of other people's Republic of China?
3: Yeah, I do. If you, I don't think that his minutes, um, I don't think he was intimating that his playing time was being affected. As some people suggested, but uh, he did make a tweet that seemed to suggest his playing time was being affected by his activism, and I don't know. If you don't want to look guilty, maybe don't play him for, like, five games and then suddenly play him right after he complains about mm-hmm. it on the national stage.
0: Well, it was helpful that Rob hurt his knee. I mean, that was...
3: You know, kind of necessitated it. Yeah. You got a point.
0: I mean, look, I think we're in agreement. We, we agree with Enes Canters. Political stances, ninety-five to hundred percent. I mean, he's taking 90. on some. Okay, ninety percent. He, he does have, pal around with John Bolton a little too much for my liking. Yep. You got to do what you got to do when you're when you're up against the bad boys. Uh, I'll I'll explain my stance on that off air. Anyways, the most ridiculous part of all of this is the flip book that he put on Twitter, which is <laughs> doing this reverse under the legs dunk. What? Who used artistic talent? I mean, the creativity to think that Ennis Cantor can make that dunk is unbelievable to me. It's just so amusing to think of Ennis seeing that. Just too late, Cam. It's coming. Next game he plays. (laughs) I mean, hey, no one is rooting for that more than... I, I think perhaps the only person on earth who's rooting for that to happen more other than Ennis Cantor is me. But I'm not holding my breath.
1: Yeah, the only thing I'll say about Ennis Cantor, uh with regard to this, I don't really want to wander into the political issues. Uh, if you want to talk to me about that, you can feel free to find me on Twitter. Um, the one thing that I will say, though, is that en- the reason that Ennis Cantor is not playing for you, dear listeners, is- has literally nothing to do with his defense of human rights. It has to do with his defense of pick and rolls, which is incredibly, yep. <laughs> incredibly bad. Uh, And that is why Ennis Cantor is not playing.
3: I love him, but he's good for like three to four centers in the entire NBA to to go up against. And he just went up against one of them. He might go up against another one of them if Rob is out. And there's Joanne B. Ennis is good
0: at rebounding. Come on.
1: Ennis is really good at rebounding his own list layups. Oh,
3: I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming.
0: Alex. (laughs) Alex should do an open mic night, but just... Get off jokes about Anna Right. That's enough. Anna Cantor. And that's enough Celtic Slot for tonight. Please go find our Twitter page and win yourself a divine sweater crew neck. And please join me and watching Alex slop some bass December 9th in Somerville. More information on our Twitter page. Oh, yeah. Th- thanks again to Anthony Irwin for coming on. And thanks, as always, for listening. We will catch you next week. Bye-bye.